All right, we are back yet again. Another episode of content is for closers. This one's been a long time coming. Carlton, as always, the audience loves it best when you describe who our guest is in terms that they can understand. And remember, if you do a bad job, this person will never achieve another sale in their life. Ready, set, go. Okay, so Brian, he's he's got lawn mowing experience and, and he's great. Oh, sorry, Brian, you just, you will not, no longer have a future because yeah. I screwed up. <laughs> yeah, really interesting guest today. We've got a few different episodes where we've dived into this sweaty startup or kind of this like idea of not your average tech startup. And this, this week's another one. And it's really pretty interesting because he started by growing his own lawn care company. And that's what I identified with him with. Uh, I was, once he said that, I was like, man, this guy's awesome mm-hmm. because that's where I cut my teeth in the business world, as they say. And so he, he started there, grew a massive, massive lawn care company. Yeah, we should, we should, it was over 10 million. That's what we should contextualize. It wasn't just a normal kid with a truck and a, and a push mower. I mean, I, maybe that's how he started. Adam's just throwing shade at me, you know? No, no. I just, you know? when you, I feel like we're, you know, it's like Michael Jordan and yeah. and Rex Chapman played the same sport, but like, you know, it's, it's two yeah. things there, but yeah, that he expanded that thing massively. So sorry to interrupt. Just had to, just had that. No, that's all right. So he grew that huge and it was eventually acquired and you know, your lawn business is big when it gets acquired. So he basically goes on from there, starts a, a platform. And I know everyone in the software world likes to say, you know, my app is an Uber for X and it doesn't always match, but this really does. Mm-hmm. It's an Uber for lawn care. So when you need your lawn mode, all you got to do is go on the app, green pal, mm-hmm. and find your, you know, find the person to come and get it, take care of your lawn. Yeah. A couple, couple things stuck out to me from the, from the interview. This to me is the prototypical example of betting, betting on the jockey and not the, the horse. Because yeah, I think a lot of times I do this, I fall prey to this. You can believe as an entrepreneur, as a, a business operator, well, I'm just not in a great business or I'm not in a great industry. I'm not trading stocks or I'm not selling one thing for a million dollars every day or whatever. There's all these different things that you can kind of fall into the trap of mentally. And then you meet guys like Brian who are taking the most basic business model. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way at all, but like you said, your first thing was to mow lawns, right? That was, that's the way a lot of us yeah. started and is such a gifted and I'm sh- and hardworking as well, but such a gifting, gifted entrepreneur and operator that it just doesn't matter. Like the device, the, the, uh, the model itself doesn't matter. He would have been successful probably doing anything but he chose this specific niche and has taken it to the absolute maximum. So if you're somebody like me who sometimes can get down on whatever specific industry, you have no excuse. I have no excuse because this guy took cutting lawns and, and made it a over $10 million business. And now is now is doing the interesting, you know, cool stuff that so many of us want to jump into too early. Now he's building apps. Now he's building Uber equivalents, et cetera. So that was just a huge challenge personally. Yeah. And everyone in the software world talks about two-sided marketplaces being the most difficult types of services to, and, and companies to build. And so, and, and that's no joke. That's, that's been proven time and time again, that it is difficult. And so it's really interesting how he's taken a, an amazing approach with PR and he talks about some of the strategy around it and content specifically to build his audience. 
I think a lot of these companies start by just giving stuff away, right? Like, like Uber, when they first started, they were like offering drivers a certain amount because they knew they needed drivers on their platform. And then they started like offering free rides and, and discounted rides, like all ev- everywhere you, because you have to get both of those sides of the marketplace there to be able to build it. And so I, I think, you know, just the model that they took and how they, they grew it, he said it was kind of a, uh, overnight success that had been in the works for 10 years. Yeah. I think that's true for so many of these businesses where, you know, he, he played the long game. He used building content. He said he, he wrote an ebook for, for almost two years. So there's all these pieces that from a content perspective, once you put into place, they help you long-term. And so definitely for all of our, all of our listeners who are, you know, maybe in that more local space where you're trying to grow something that's local and then, and then grow it beyond that. This is a great episode for you. All right, let's get into it. Put that content down. Content. For closes only. What's your name? Content. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Content is for closers. All right, we've got Brian Clayton here on Content is for Closers. Brian, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So we're just, me and you were just talking offline about knowing similar places in Nashville. And I think that's where, where your story starts and where your company started. And, uh, you know, the thing about Nashville is now, I guess it's becoming more of a concrete jungle, but it was one of those cities where, you know, you could have a house with some land and still be in the city for a long time. So, so, you know, tell us, how did that affect you? How did you start your company? Why'd you start your company? Give, give us the background there. Yeah. Yeah. So well, born and raised in Nashville, lived here all my life and, and I've ran both my businesses here. I guess I'm kind of lucky to have grown up in middle Tennessee because for as long as I've been alive, middle Tennessee has been growing and it's been yeah. thriving and prospering and which really helped me in both my businesses. Today, I am CEO, co-founder of a company called GreenPal, which works like Uber, but for lawn mowing services. So if you're a homeowner and need to get your lawn mowed, you just put your address in our app and, and then you hire somebody to come do it for you. And uh, GreenPal is like a 10-year overnight success. Been at hmm. this thing for almost a decade. Now the app is nationwide all over the country, several hundred thousand people using it, doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue. But we started off very humbly 10 years ago in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and spent just three years in Nashville getting the app to work well, to, to figuring out how it needed to be built, figuring out all the workflows and working out all of the kinks. And then we went nationwide, but Nashville was a great place to, to launch it. So very fortunate to have, I guess, kind of that test bed in my backyard. But before, uh, before GreenPal, I actually had a landscaping business. I started mowing grass in high school as a way to make extra cash and Stuck with that little lawn mowing business all through high school and all through college. And uh, over a 15-year period of time, built one of the largest landscaping businesses in the southeastern United States, eventually getting it over $10 million a year in revenue, 150 employees. And in 2013, it was acquired by a national company. And, and uh, then I took some time off and then started GreenPal. So 22 years uh, in, in the landscaping industry and, 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 you know, and starting it all in Nashville, Tennessee. I love that. So, so talk about that transition because you went from being an operator, building a, a, a sweaty business or a, you know, a, a lawn care maintenance business, whatever it might be, and then flipped to essentially 
you know, what you may have previously saw as a threat to that business, kind of making that a, a commoditized service that anyone could access. How did that flip happen for you mentally or what prompted that for you to go from operator to GreenPal founder? Yeah, it, it wasn't like part of any kind of grand plan that I, that I architected. I, I built up my, my landscaping business and built it to a point where it was just, I wasn't like, I wasn't being challenged by it anymore. And, and like, I, I I had reached a point of plateau for like, from like a personal development standpoint. And that bothered me. And I thought, well, maybe I I should sell this company. And from the moment I had that notion to the moment I sold it, it was like two years and it was excruciating. Like I had to reverse engineer a lot of stuff into the business to get it sold, but got it, got it, got it acquired. And then it was my plan to retire. I was, but I was only like 34 years old. And but it was my plan to just not work anymore and to like invest the money and manage my investments and just, just travel around and, and live the good life, uh, you know, so to speak. And that lasted like three months, maybe four months. I just, I got stir crazy. I, I was like, man, I'm really like, there's something missing here. And what I realized was that my business was the thing that always made my life interesting. It always caused me to be taking on challenges and overcoming you know, overcoming obstacles and, and growing and learning. And, and I, that was gone. That was missing. And I thought, well, I need, a, I need to start another business. And here's literally what I thought. I thought, well, the last company was, was really tough and I don't want to do anything that hard again. So now I just want to start a simple business. I want to start an easy business. I should start a software company because all of these, all these tech guys do is just write software and then they don't have to deal with employees or, or, or pissed off customers or, or all of this stuff that I just spent like, uh, like 15 years dealing with almost killed me. I don't want to do that anymore. So I just want to like write software because that sounds easy. And boy, yeah. I didn't know, boy, I didn't know what I didn't know. It was, it was naivete <laughs> as an asset. The, the, I had an idea that an app should exist like Uber or Airbnb or Lyft. Uh, or Postmates, but for the industry I knew. And I thought, somebody's going to build this. It might as well be me. And how hard could it possibly be? And recruited two co-founders, and we were quickly confronted with the reality that this is actually a lot harder than it looks. And and actually, this is going to be a lot more challenging. And as it turned out, like 10 times harder than my first business. And what I didn't know was there's a big difference between running a traditional, like like you said, sweaty startup, like a a blue collar business, a traditional type of business. There's a big difference between that versus inventing something brand new from scratch that does not exist in the world. And that's what I didn't understand. When I was building GreenPow, we were inventing a new product. People weren't pushing a button and hiring a lawn mowing service. Lawn mowing services weren't running their whole business on top of an app. And so we had to like figure this stuff out as we went and also teach ourselves how to code teach ourselves how to build software. It was really challenging. It took us like three, four years to get anything going, but we just stuck it out. Now here we are. We've got a good growing business nationwide in the United States and self-funded. We didn't take on any capital. So my two co-founders and I own all of the business, which is which is a good place to be, having fun doing it. And, and I'm glad that we stuck with it. Incredible. I love that you, I love that you took something that is, was difficult and then decided, you know what, let's do something, you know, harder as a, as a break, <laughs> but who did, yeah. did your, do either of your co-founders code or, or where did you guys find the technical part? So here's, here's how it, how, how we did it. Ideally, you know, when you're starting a tech startup, 
Paul Graham, the guy that, that invented or, or founded the Y Combinator, which is a, which is an accelerator out in Silicon Valley. He says that you should have a hacker and a hustler. And so basically somebody mm. who's good at driving the business forward, who's naturally geared towards sales, who's naturally like motivated to, to get something going. And then a hacker, which, you know, somebody who's good at the technical side, maybe they were coding up websites in high school. Maybe they are a tinker and like they're engineering, you know, focused and, and those two types of people come together and can start a startup. That's, that's ideal. We had three hustlers, no hackers. And so we had three okay. people that, that, that kind of had like a chip on their shoulder that, that wanted to build something that were motivated, but none of us knew how to code. And so here's what we thought. We thought, well, we don't know how to write software, but that's probably the easiest part of it. We'll just like pay a, a development shop to do that. And then we'll market it and we'll be off and going. And so we did that and we pulled together like 150 grand of our own cash, paid a dev shop to build what we thought GreenPal should be. It took them like nine months and we released it, launched it. And it was, it was a f total failure, like unmitigated disaster. The app didn't have the features it needed. We didn't really know how it should be built. We didn't really know how it should be architected. It didn't fulfill the promise, basically, of push a button, lawn mowing service shows up and does a great job mowing your yard. And so we were quickly confronted with, okay, if we're going to be in the tech business, we're going to have to learn how to build software. I mean, that's all there is to it. And so I became the world's crappiest front-end engineer, and my co-founder went to a boot camp in Nashville and became a decent enough back-end engineer to where we completely wow. re rebuilt the whole thing from scratch. Uh, baked, baked in the, the feedback we were getting from the first, I don't know, 50 people that used our terrible product. We were getting enough feedback to where we could rebuild it right the second time. And we rebuilt it ourselves. And then we were able to build out a, a team of engineers around us because we had some sort of basis, uh, some sort of like 80, 20 mastery of, of software development, which it, that took a long time. It took like mm -hmm. two or three years to, to get up and going. Yeah, I love. I mean, I love how you you called it a ten year ten year overnight success, right? Like uh, having to go through that iterative process, and and I mean that is tough building it for nine months, and and then having to you know go back and and realize Start all over fit the customer need or yeah yep. yeah that that that's brutal. But you it's it's a testament to you that you all were continue to endure and were able to uh, continue on to where you are today. I, this is kind of a sidebar, but I'm curious what you're what you think about it. It seems like there's been this renaissance a little bit in those you know blue collar serve home home service sweaty whatever you want to call it based businesses and you know more and more you're seeing people who are like yeah i'm gonna go start a landscaping company or i'm gonna go buy a whatever an hvac company or et cetera, et cetera, and then just try to store up these cash flow businesses what Having been in it for the last, you know, 20 years or plus that you have been, what do you, what do you attribute that to? Why do you think there's been this revived popularity in those types of businesses? I think, I think a lot of it has to do with there's, there's a market need, you know, try to hire a plumber, try to hire a lawn care service, try to hire a home cleaning service and, and see what you pay, you know, like really hire somebody to come and do a service for you at your home you're going to pay them 50, 75 bucks an hour. And mm -hmm. I know, so, I know some lawyers that don't make that. And, and so it's like, are, are you going to go to school 
and take on 200 grand in, in credit card debt or go or go start a trade business and make 100 grand a year free cash flow i mean your contemporaries will never catch up with you and right i mean you know in in, in my business greenpal we have 32,000 contractors that use the platform and wow i mean i hear so many stories over and over again of Hey, you know, thank you, Green Pal, for helping me grow my lawn care business because now I just I just bought my 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 third rental, or I bought a, 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 another truck and I have three crews going, and you know my business just crossed the half million dollar mark or the million dollar mark. I mean, we, there's several contractors doing multiple millions on our platform. Is it a get rich quick scheme? Hell no! It's hard work. It's full contact, but. It is one of the most crisp ways in this country to go from zero to, to life-changing like wealth in a decade if you're willing to work hard and, and run it well. Yeah. So I think the, fir the first reason might be because of a market need. The second reason is it's probably easier to get distribution for these businesses than it's ever been. You can pop up a Facebook ad campaign. You can pop up a Yelp ad campaign. You can run a Google AdWords campaign. You can advertise on Instagram. You can, you can, you can join an industry-specific platform like GreenPal, and you can go from no customers to 250K a year in revenue in a year. You know, that used to take a decade. Mm -hmm. and, and so that might be another reason. And, and the, third, the third reason might be is that, is that people have more disposable income to, to spend on these services than they ever did. You know, when I started in the lawn mowing business, having your own gardener was seen as a, a luxury. Whereas now our platform, 80% of the people that use it to, to hire a lawn mowing service are working class. Like they, mm. they work full-time jobs, but they understand by the time they go mow their own yard themselves and pay for a lawnmower and do all that, they're making less than minimum wage. They might as well pay somebody else to do it. And, uh, so it's probably a combination of all those things, more disposable income, easier to get, get clientele than ever. And, and, and there's a, there's, there is a market need. And why would you, why would you go spend five, four years at school to get a degree in, and I don't know, like philosophy and make 40 grand a year when you could go start a, a home, a pool cleaning service and have three employees and make half a million dollars a year in five years. Like, you know, that's, that's my, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it's, I, it's a, it's a, it's a rising trend. I see more and more people doing it. We have some, uh, definitely some people in the audience who have done it and, have, and are very successful because of it. So it's a really cool trend to see. You kind of touched on it there, but obviously, you know, it's a two-sided platform green pal. And so you've, you've got, you know, you just talked about having to build the user experience, having to change it because of the customer desire and the customer journey and what they were going through. But what about on the, on the supply side? Obviously that would be, I would think a strength for you coming out of that industry. What were some things that you were able to do to get those, however many, what did you say? 30,000 contractors or something that you have on there? Like how did that process work? Yeah, it's, so it is a two-sided kind of marketplace. We have two sets of users. And so for homeowners, it's a nice convenience uh, to push a button and, and just get somebody to do this chore for you and then set it and forget it. For contractors, it's an entire platform to run their entire business. So everything from getting all the customers they need to organizing and optimizing their route to be as efficient as possible to one place to have all of your clientele and all of their information, like a CRM. The next thing, getting paid quickly, getting paid within 24 hours for all of the work you do. Whereas normally you have to mail out an invoice and hopefully they send you some money in 30 days. Whereas with 
all of your green pal clientele, you, you get paid within 24 hours. And then marketing automation, making sure that your homeowners book with you ongoing throughout the rest of the year, add on other services like seeding, mold, shrubs. It's, a one, it's like one place for them to run their entire business. And so mm-hmm. it's because we built it that way, do we then have them able to be ordered off the shelf, so to speak, almost like an Amazon type of experience because they're locked in and they're using that, the, the tools for all of the other things to run their business. And so that's why it works on both sides. You can't, you can't just have the solutions from one side and not the other. But it started off really, really, really humbly. I, I knew personally the first 500 contractors that used the platform. They all had my cell phone number. And we didn't have those tools back then. It was like we were focused on the consumer experience and we kind of hand cranked the supplier experience because we didn't have the bandwidth to build out all of the, all of the suite of tools that they needed. And the way we kind of hand cranked that was I offered them free coaching, free mentoring mm-hmm. on how to run their lawn mowing business. Cause I had just sold a, an eight figure landscaping company. I kind of know everything there is to know about running a lawn mowing co- company. And so I was able to coach them on, on how to grow their business. And that was kind of like the honey and the glue to keep them locked in while we focus on the consumer experience. Then after about a year, we came back to the supplier experience and built that out based on what our, our contractors were telling us. Very cool. And so you're obviously a very dynamic personality. You're a marketer. You know how to grow businesses. I've seen you've been on a ton of podcasts over the last, over the last several months. What have you found from a content perspective, whether it be for the supply side or the demand side, that has either helped you get in front of the right people on the, you know, in terms of customers or just brand building for, for GreenPal? Anything specific that you found? Yeah, it's like there's a saying that first-time founders worry about product, second-time founders worry about distribution. And so it's like if, if you've never done it before, you worry about the product or service and you obsess over that. And then if you've done one and sold it or maybe done one and failed, the second time around, you worry about distribution. You worry like, okay, that's awesome, but how are we going to get people to find out about it? How are we going to get people to sign up for it? Like, Because none of that matters unless we have this figured out. For us, we, we really have focused on organic traffic as the main way people come to find out about GreenPal. So if you're yeah. looking for a lawn mowing service, lawn mowing service nearby me, Wichita, Kansas, or Lincoln, Nebraska, Nashville, Tennessee, whatever, we need to be there on, on the search engine as part of the options for you to consider when you're looking for somebody to solve this problem for you. And that's how we, that's how we have focused on and, and gotten probably 75% of the homeowners that use our platform, that all the rest is word of mouth. And, and so unless you're thinking about how you're going to get people to find out about what it is your offer, your offer is and, and how you're going to get them to sign up and, and, and market to them, like the solution and the product almost doesn't matter. And, and for us, content is a big part of what we do. We write guides on the best lawn mowing services in Alpharetta, Georgia, or Panama City, Florida, or or Columbus, Ohio, and we interview contractors. We talk about what makes them different. We talk about what, what makes them reliable and, and what kind of equipment they have. And, and then we surface that. We surface that in, in content. And so when people are searching for a lawn mowing service in Columbus, they, they may come across our, our page, and then they may try out GreenPow. If we're not able to generate demand for vendors, then it doesn't matter how good our, our vendor tools are. We have to, or we're only as good as, as how much consumer supply we can bring on to the, to the platform. And uh, I think a, a lot of new founders kind of overlook that. 
and they they under index on that and it and it really is as important or or more important than what you're doing in the first place i mean it's crazy it's like every business is in the content business now or at least they should be yeah and uh, and you know you're you're really you know half of what you do is 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 one of of being a publisher and uh, as weird as that sounds that's kind of the name of the game to to get people to find out about what you're doing and expose them to how you might solve their problem. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you know, you talked about it first time founder, second time founder, you had the benefit of having run a company for many years. And so obviously distribution is top of your mind, but you could see how that, how you'd fall into that trap. You're learning how to code, you know, overnight to try to make this experience better. Your business partner is doing the same. And so distribution can kind of fall off. Yep. But I mean, a million users is, you know, incredible. That's, that's what, Silicon Valley startups were trying to to build towards. Was there anything specific that you saw a, an influx of users come through, or was it just a drip? You know, over time, well, how did that process work in terms of growth? Yeah, th there wasn't any like one move on the chessboard that, that caused us to just blow up. Mainly because we're self funded. If we had raised maybe ten or twenty million dollars and blowing all that out in, in in eighteen months, maybe we would have seen like that big inflection point. But for us, it's been like a 20-mile march, just slow and steady, and doing more and more of the things that are already working. So for us, it's, it's, it's two or three things that we really just focus all of our time on. It's, it's creating really good content around lawn care services in every single small city in town and, and big city throughout the United States. And then, and then really focusing on what are the things that go into a good organic SEO search strategy and just executing on those. And then a third thing, that dovetails into that is, is PR. My co-founder, mm -hmm. all he has done for the last eight years is PR for the business. I mean, we have taken everything off of his plate. All he does is go, is, is, is reach out to journalists, makes TV appearance, appearances, does newspaper interviews. And he's been on TV just in the last 12 months, probably 65 times throughout the United States for, you know, NBC, ABC, CBS affiliates, you know, newspapers, like anything from like the Sacramento Bee to the LA Times, the Chicago Tribune. And, and it's not like, oh, this guy's busy, um, you know, making these media appearances. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it's like 90% of the hard work is reaching out to these journalists mm -hmm. and pitching them. He pitches, he pitches at least a hundred journalists a day and has done it for the last, last five to six, seven years. And so that does two things. One is it, it draws an audience at a local level to the platform, which is more important. Like it's more important for us to have like a local PR hit in like the, the, the Atlanta journal than it yep. would be to be on USA Today or something like right. that. Like, like right. it's, it's, it's more important to do it at a local level. And, and so it draws, it draws an audience to the platform at a local level. And then also it reinforces the SEO strategy because we get those mentions. We get the link pointing to the site, which tells oh, yeah. that. That's gotta be tells Google like, Hey, this is, this is an authoritative site, not only on a national level, but on a local level. And so really just doing those hard things over and over again is, is, is what we do. We don't worry about TV ads, radio ads, newspaper ads, Facebook ads, or Instagram ads. We just do like those two or three things and spend all of our time doing that. Man, I love that. That's, that's such, I mean, that's such a grind pitching that many people right, day in and day out every As we speak I'm, right now, that's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. And it's paid off, right? I mean, yeah. a, million, a million users is incredible growth and, and sounds like it's a lot attributable to, to that strategy. Yep.
what what about in terms of you personally? Is there anything that's in the content space that you see that you're like, man, that looks interesting or exciting to you or something that maybe you all are doing that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I think for us, it's like authenticity as a competitive advantage. We don't worry about attracting vendors to the platform because we've spent like five years writing the best guides on how to run a lawn mowing business. And I wrote them and maybe even maybe I'm biased, but I think, I think it's the best free book on the internet for how to run a lawn care business. And it's, hmm. it's, it's, it's well, it's well designed. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's engaging and it just goes from zero to this is how you get your first hundred K. And this, and then, then there's an intermediate book after that, that we wrote. Here's how you go from 100 k to 250 k. Whether you use Green Pal or not, right. this is this is your 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 free guide on how to run a lawnmowing business. And and as you read through this free material that we literally spent spent like uh, two years and a hundred grand building for free, you can have it. Hey, if you want to try Green Pal out, great. And so to me, using that authenticity and and really just trying to be almost benevolent does usually pay 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 itself back. When it comes to content, I was reading, a, I was, I was listening to a podcast about this realtor, um, who operates in uh, somewhere in Florida, a highly competitive market, maybe like Miami or something. And he, he created a, a, an ebook and he spent like three years writing this ebook on how to do a, a for sale by owner in Miami day. Oh, sure. Th this is how you do a for sale by owner, like step by step. Don't pay a realtor. Why would you pay a realtor two and a half percent when you can do this step by step? And the book is like 20 pages and like it's a ton of traffic. And what and what what a strategy was and what's worked is like by the time re people read through all of this, they're like, to hell with this. I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to call this guy. Yeah. And, and like and then it works for him. So I think having that strategy with respect to content, like not trying to write the 14th post on the top 10, 10 ways. But literally just trying to like put something out into the world that is helpful, that you know better than anybody, usually that's, that, that's a better strategy. Yeah, it's so good. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about having a content waterfall. Though, those assets where you're spending two years, I mean, you wrote it for two years. Yeah. There's going to be so many different pieces that can be pulled out of that. Right. And you right. were, uh, you know, lead magnet attractions, whatever, even just to drive back to that, if he knows yep. that that piece is going to convert. Uh, yep. such a, such a powerful strategy. Well, Brian, we uh, really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing a little bit about Green Pal with us. If folks want to check out you or what you all are doing, where's the best place for them to follow along? Yeah. Anybody in the United States that doesn't want to mow your own yard, just download Green Pal in the app store or play store. And anybody wants to hit me up, hit me up on Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. Just drop me a DM there. All right, we'll do it. We will link all of that in the show notes below. Really commend you for the, the long grind that you've been on. And obviously it's paying off for you and hopefully we'll be able to catch up soon. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Have a good one. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode of Content is for Closers. We hope you find this show really helpful as you grow your business with content. Maybe you know of other people who would find this show helpful as well. How about you send them our way? If you didn't like this show and you want to tell us that, then you can head over to contentisforclosers.com where you can send us a message, give us some feedback, ask questions, or find detailed notes for every episode. Until next time, keep creating and keep closing. Keep closing.